With his unique perspective on the medical legal system, here's Victor Cotton. Welcome to the Law and Medicine Podcast. Today's topic is the problem of having too many doctors. Yes, there are too many of us, and it's causing most of our problems. One of the basic principles of economics is that anytime you have too much of something and oversupply of something, the seller is at a disadvantage. When the farmers out in Washington state harvest an enormous crop of apples, such that the supply of apples greatly exceeds demand, the farmers are at the mercy of the grocery stores. The grocery stores can dictate price, say things like, take it or leave it, and generally abuse the poor farmer to the point that they come home feeling unappreciated, overworked, underpaid, powerless, and burned out. But as much as we might feel for those farmers, most of us recognize that that's what happens when you have too many apples. Now, as physicians, we're also in the marketplace selling our professional services to any number of buyers. And I ask you, how do many of us feel? Well, unappreciated that we're treated like commodities, that we have little to no negotiating power, and many of us are burned out. So why do we feel this way? Well, it's probably multifactorial, but if we use the apple farmer as our reference, it sounds like we've got too many doctors. Now, you might be thinking, but I keep hearing that we don't have enough doctors, that in 10 years we're going to run out of doctors and people are going to be dying in the streets. Yes, and the global warming people said that in 10 years Miami would be flooded and people would be drowning in the streets. So the lesson here is that anytime you hear someone talking about people dying in the streets 10 years from now, you need to scrutinize what they're selling because otherwise in 10 years, they'll be long gone with your money. So before we buy into this 10-year doctor apocalypse, let's examine who's behind it. According to a paper published in JAMA in 2017, the American Association of Medical Colleges estimates that by the year 2030, which is 10 years from now, we're going to have a shortage of between 41,000 and 105,000 doctors. These numbers, which have been endlessly repeated, are from the American Association of Medical Colleges, which represents the interests of medical schools. Medical schools derive their income from training doctors with the money coming from both tuition and government funding, and because most students pay their tuition by borrowing money from government programs, medical schools are heavily dependent on the federal government. Not coincidentally, the AAMC is based in Washington, D.C., and if you go to their website, which is aamc.org, you will see that they are very focused on the government funding of medical education. Now, I have no problem with people lobbying for things that advance their interests. Just about everyone does that to some extent, and doing so is protected by the First Amendment, where it's called the right to petition the government for redress of grievances. So I'm not complaining about the AAMC exercising its First Amendment rights. On the contrary, I fully support its right to do so. But we need to recognize that the American Association of Medical Colleges is an advocacy organization for medical schools. 
It does not exist for the benefit of the healthcare system, for the good of the country, or for the best interests of us doctors. They already have our tuition money. Their mission is to secure funding for medical schools, and they're saying that in 10 years, we're going to run out of doctors. Now, interestingly, this isn't the first time that the AAMC has made this clarion call. I first heard that we were running out of doctors when I was in medical school more than 30 years ago, and it probably goes back long before then. Of note, during the last 15 years, the number of medical schools in the United States has increased by 16%, and medical school enrollment has increased by 28%. However, according to this JAMA article written by the president of the AAMC, we're still running out of doctors and medical schools need even more government money. And if you're looking for irony, listen to this. At the end of the article where the author is required to disclose conflicts of interest, it states that none were identified. So the president of the AAMC writes a paper saying that medical schools need more money to train more doctors and no conflicts were identified, which is yet another example of how the rules never seem to apply to these high-level academics. Now, although it received virtually no attention, there was another paper published in JAMA at about the same time. The authors who do not work for the AAMC did an analysis of the number of primary care physicians and calculated the amount of care that these physicians could provide. And this is particularly valuable because it's widely accepted that we're desperately low on PCPs. The authors found that there are 442,000 PCPs in the United States. Approximately 12% work part-time and 80,000 are pediatricians, leaving us with 308,000 full-time PCPs caring for adults. According to the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, the average PCP can effectively manage 1,500 to 2,000 adults. So if we do the math, 308,000 PCPs, each covering 1,500 patients, gives us enough capacity to care for 462 million adults. And as of 2019, there are 230 million adults in the United States. So even at a conservative panel size of 1,500 patients per doctor, we have twice as many PCPs as we need. And the numbers get worse if we bump the panel size to 2,000 patients per doctor, in which case we would need 120,000 PCPs, and we have 308,000. The numbers aren't quite as bad for pediatricians. If we assume that each pediatrician can manage 1,500 children, our 73 million children could be cared for by 49,000 pediatricians. And if each pediatrician cares for 2,000 children, that number falls to 37,000. So we need somewhere between 37,000 and 49,000 pediatricians, and we have 80,000. As staggering as these numbers are, they do not include the 50,000 PCPs who work part-time or any of the mid-levels whose scope of practice is now nearly identical to that of physicians in a primary care setting. And in case you're wondering, the numbers here are just incredible. 
In the United States, there are currently 248,000 nurse practitioners and 115,000 physician assistants. The authors of this article concluded that there is a significant surplus rather than a shortage of primary care physicians. They noted that there are some distribution problems with too many doctors in some locations and too few in others, but that on the whole, we have many more doctors than we need. And this data is from primary care, where the shortage is supposed to be the worst. Now, if these numbers are correct, and there is indeed a doctor surplus, and we assume that the basic principles of economics apply, how would we doctors feel about our position in the marketplace? Devalued, like we work too hard for too little, that we're treated like commodities, and we'd be understandably burned out, which is exactly how many of us feel. Now, the great irony here comes, as it often does, from the folks in organized medicine who, on one hand, proclaim their great concern for the problem of physician burnout while simultaneously proclaiming that we need more doctors, which further devalues all of us. This false narrative that we're running out of doctors also hurts us in the political arena. One of the legislative battles that's regularly fought involves the scope of practice for nurse practitioners. Nurse practitioners want to expand their scope of practice, and physicians typically oppose doing so. And here's how it plays out in my state, which is typical of what happens everywhere. The Pennsylvania Medical Society beats the drum that we're running out of doctors, that we don't have enough doctors, and that we're just a step away from patients dying in the street, none of which is correct. Pennsylvania has 10 medical schools, and out of the 50 states ranks 8th in the number of doctors per capita. So what the Medical Society is saying is not true. But the nurse practitioners astutely see this as an opportunity. And they ask the Pennsylvania legislature to expand their scope of practice, which will help address the doctor shortage and prevent people from dying in the street. Now, the Medical Society opposes this idea, but they're on the record repeatedly saying that we're almost out of doctors and people are going to start dying very soon. And even they're smart enough to realize that they can't suddenly say otherwise, which leaves the average legislator with a simple choice. Let people die in the streets or allow nurse practitioners to function like doctors. The end result is that the nurse practitioners win yet another political victory against physicians and expand their scope of practice. And I'm not saying I'm for that or against it. I will say that if you outmaneuver someone and if you outsmart them and you outplay them the way the nurses have done to organize medicine, then you deserve to win. So if you're wondering why we've seen such an expansion in the scope of practice for mid-levels over the past decade, in large part, it's been fueled by the propaganda generated by the American Association of Medical Colleges and blindly propagated by the fools in organized medicine. Here's another consequence of having too many doctors. 
If I'm a busy PCP with a full panel of patients, I might see a diabetic three or four times a year, which is reasonable. But as the number of doctors grows and my number of patients drops, I'll start seeing diabetics five or six times a year because I have to fill my schedule. And as part of those extra visits, I'll order additional tests. And you can't fault me. I'm just being thorough. And maybe this improves patient outcomes and maybe it doesn't. But what it does do is raise the cost of health care. The more providers you pour into the system, the more care they provide, which raises the cost of health care, which creates more cost pressure, which makes everyone feel less valued, less appreciated, less satisfied, and more burned out. If you look at the relative balance of power in the marketplace and the way most physicians feel about their profession, it strongly suggests that we've got too many doctors, which is exactly what the data shows. And as a result, if the folks in organized medicine truly wanted to help what ails the practicing physician, the lack of appreciation, the financial pressures, the encroachment of mid-levels, and the burnout, they'd be advocating for fewer doctors, not more. Of course, they're never going to do that because all of those future doctors are potential members and potential revenue, which organized medicine desperately needs to fill the void left by all the physicians they've repeatedly betrayed over the years. Thanks for listening to me today. You have been listening to Victor Cotton, physician, attorney, and founder of Law & Medicine. If you'd like to learn more about us or support our efforts, we invite you to visit our website at lawandmed.com. We offer a variety of online educational courses for which you can earn Category 1 CME credit. Many of our courses can be used to meet your malpractice insurance company's requirements for a policy discount. And if you receive a CME allowance from your employer, we can provide you with a receipt which can be used to obtain reimbursement. This has been a production of Law & Medicine, Hershey, Pennsylvania. All rights are reserved.